Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Thank you today that we can not just sing about you, but we can worship you. We can connect our earthly realities with heaven's realities. We thank you, Father, for the ability to worship freely and openly. Thank you, Father, for time together today, and I thank you that your Holy Spirit is present to teach us. Lord, we want to be taught. So we thank you for teaching us this morning, that you're present to teach us. Thank you that your word is alive and it's powerful. Thank you, Lord, that it can bring direction and correction to our hearts today. So, Father, thank you that we can declare our love for you and our worship for you together in this place. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen. 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 Isn't that great to worship together? Thank you, team. What a great team. I love our young up-and-coming worshiper right there, that little fella. Gosh, he blesses me. He's got his own guitar, and he's just rocking it. Well, welcome to uh, church, everybody. I am really, really excited to uh, share a few thoughts with you before we get into the baptism, which is a perfect time to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, Last week, what a great uh, week. We had uh, uh, 801 people in our weekend service, which I I think is really, really great. So um, I'm just gonna round that up to 900 when I tell my friends. Uh, Toronto had uh, right very close to 1,100 people in their worship experience, so in just over four years. So I'm really excited to hear what's going on in Toronto and uh, be part of them. All right, I have a, here's what what we're going to do, and I'm going to preach two 15-minute messages in 25 minutes, and then we're going to have a few baptisms. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Luke. And um, I want to talk, I'll tell you what happened to me this week. Um, I, was, I was studying through the, the days after the resurrection, and I got so deeply um, intrigued in, in what I'm going to call resurrection realities. It's the title of my message this morning. Uh, I got so intrigued with, the, with what took place after the resurrection and I'm going to talk about something this morning that I haven't heard much talked about um, in sermons over the last number of years. And I wanna talk about heaven. And this is our, our, our greatest fulfillment of every hope that we carry within our hearts as followers of Christ. And so before I get there, I just want to um, go through this little uh, post-resurrection story on the road to Emmaus. And I want you to try and identify with these fellows who are walking with Jesus. And I wanna talk about the first, my first 15 minute sermon will be on how to deal with uh, temporary disappointments. Paul, Paul called them temporary. Um, I want you to feel some of the, some of the disappointment that the, these fellows would have felt. In chapter 24 and verse 13, the same day two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus seven miles out of Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had just happened. But suddenly Jesus himself, I I love that, Jesus himself, 
uh, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. And then he, he spoke up. You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you concerned with? And they stopped short, sadness written across their face. And then one of them, Cleopas, I'm glad we don't use that name anymore. Cleopas uh, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have just happened in these last few days. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, what things? What things are you talking about? Um, so, so interesting. Um, when we're, our, our theme for the month is life. Life requires four qualities. Jesus was every one of those. It requires uh, breath, light, air, uh, sorry, sorry, light, air, water, and food. Jesus was the light of the world. He was the breath of life. He was the living bread, and he was living water. He was all of those things. And he, and in this picture of resurrection life, and, and for you and I, um, I don't know if you find this or not, people, they want to experience resurrection life, but before resurrection life could happen, there had to be death. And in your and my life, in order for us to enter into this new life that Christ had for us, first there has to be death, which is a picture of baptism. Death, burial, and resurrection. The, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce new life. And so there's always a, our part. And this, this thing, and I love Revelation chapter 12 and verse 8, and many times we hear it quoted, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But it doesn't stop there, and they love not their lives unto death. There's something about giving up our life so that we can find life. And that's where we discover this new life that's ours in Christ. Um, the more that Cleopas talked, the more he indicted himself. Uh, my grandpa used to say, your ears will never get you into trouble. <laughs> he just kept on talking. And, um, and the fact is they could have talked all day because, because discussion will not reveal Christ. It takes an opening of the heart, not a mere intellectual discovery. And they needed a revelation, which you and I need as well, in order for, to understand and discover who Christ is. Their hairs were working uh, just fine, but it's their hearts that needed to be woken up. One of the things that I think will be, if, if, if it's possible to be frustrated in heaven, uh, I think one of the things that will be frustrating for us is when we look over the events of our life and we will have in those moments wondered where Christ was and we'll find that he was right there. They didn't recognize him, but he was very present with them. Uh, the, uh, I, I'm feeling this angst about the job situation in Calgary, and we, we pray about it quite regularly, my wife and I. But, but if you only knew where Christ was in this picture for you, and I personally believe that we won't be able to blame Christ for, hey, where were you when I was going through that difficult time? Or where were you when we started that business and why, and it ended up going south and where were you when we initiated, I got into that relationship and it ended up not working out and where were you? Here's what I think we'll discover, well, that he was there all along. But we just don't recognize him. It's like he comes in a different form. So, so 
here's what I thought about how do we deal with disappointments, temporary disappointments. The first thing is we need to remember that Christ is right there and tap into his power. Even though they couldn't recognize him, it says that suddenly, suddenly Jesus himself came along. If we could only see and discover where he is. And because I, I, I do find for my, myself is that disappointments can blind us because we get so focused on our circumstance that they blind us to the reality of Christ in our situation. The second thing is that you need to rehearse the promises. And, and you'll look in the next page and when Jesus said, uh, uh, you're such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets all that Messiah would have to suffer in those things? He reminded them of the promises of the past. Well, I think when we go through disappointments, we need to recognize and look for, where Christ, where are you in this situation? Secondly, we need to rehearse the promises, and we find those throughout scripture. Uh, the third thing I think it's important in dealing with temporary disappointments is, to, is to, I, to understand that Christ identifies with us in our brokenness or our discouragement. It says that when they, he broke the bread, that's when they discovered him. That's when they seen him. And you'll, you'll read it again. You'll see it in verse um, 30. As they sat down to break the bread, suddenly their eyes were open, another suddenly. Then in verse 35, the two of them, when they were talking about Jesus again, and they're walking along the road, verse 35, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. I think that in, in, in that moment, somehow they connected, they seen the bre breaking of the bed with the, with the breaking of Christ's body. And I think that in all of our journeys, we need to understand that Christ identifies with us in our brokenness and our discouragement and our disappointment as our great high priest, that we identify with him. And then, and then lastly, take time to be with Christ. Here's the, here's the thing that really got a hold of me. When, and when he appeared, he said, peace be with you. And the whole group were terrified because they thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he said. Uh, why do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands and look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm, that I'm not a ghost. And because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I have. And then he spoke to him and he said this. He says, where does the guy get something to eat around here? This is in, this is in verse 41. Uh, Do you have anything to eat? This resurrection body stuff is fascinating to me. And then he said, when I was with you, I told you everything that was written about me. And then he opened their minds and they understood the scriptures. As we spend time with Christ... He opens up the scriptures to us and they begin to make sense. And then it says at, at the end, it says as he left, he said, first of all, he says, stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then he left li and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshiped him and then they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. The, uh, the, the, the result of us I think doing those three or four things, however many there were, is great joy. And even in the most disappointing of circumstances, we can find great joy when we're reminded ourselves, first of all, that Christ is present in our situation. Secondly, that he identifies with us in our brokenness and our disappointment. That, that, that we go through the scriptures and we remind ourselves of the promises. And lastly, that we connect ourselves intimately with him as he opens up the scriptures and brings us great hope. All right, let me, let me, first sermon done, second sermon. The future hope of heaven, 
Now, in this, these next few moments, I'm gonna create more questions than I'm going to answer. So don't corner me after and try and get me to answer them all. Uh, we, we don't have time. But I would like to develop this into a series probably by, um, by October. That our future hope is having the greatest story that goes on forever. All of us have questions about our future. I wanna try and answer two questions. Um, the first one is, what will we be like and what will heaven be like? Philippians chapter three and verse 20, um, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as savior. Verse 21, he will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. We're citizens of heaven already. Reading this account of, of Christ's post after, the, after his resurrection, you can't help but wonder, what was he like? Because it says that we will be like him as well in that same manner. That you and I will have the same type of body in our resurrection state. This is fascinating to me. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but as I began to study it, I find that there's an incredible amount of scriptures about what we will be like and what our future home will be like. He says, I'm not a ghost because ghosts have bodies. People sometimes ask me, will we be like angels? No, angels are like angels. Will we be like ghosts? No, ghosts are like ghosts. He said, I'm different than that. He says, ghosts don't have bodies. You and I are going to have, we're, this is, we're gonna get an up, we're all, so, forgive me last week if, you, every, if people here fly first class. God bless you, amen. <laughs> I'm not sure how many offended last week for that comment. But here, we're going to get upgraded to first class. Our bodies are going to be the same but different. And we will live in an earth that's the same but different. It will be a new earth like this earth, but better, an upgrade. And same with the heavens. There's going to be a new earth and a new heaven. This is wonderful for me. So what will our bodies be like? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. That's us. What a hope. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun uh, through another man, Christ. And everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man, but all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life, but there will be an order of this resurrection. Christ will be raised first, and then Christ comes back, and all his people will be raised from the dead. You should read that entire chapter. It's wonderful. In verse 35, it says, somebody might ask, well, how will the dead be raised, and what kind of bodies will we have? What a foolish question. I don't think it's a foolish question. I have a question. What will we be like? He says, well, this is what happens. You put your, you know, the seed in the ground and up comes this whole, whole new life. And he says in verse 32, in the same way for the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies will die and decay. Uh, our earthly bodies will be different when they are resurrected for they will never die. Our bodies now disappoint us. Have anybody had any disappointment with your current carcass? 
Our bodies, now they disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. They are weak now, but they will be raised full of power. They are natural body, human bodies now, but when they are raised, they will be spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, they'll also be spiritual bodies. I think this is phenomenal. Every human, verse 48, every human being has an earthly body just like Adam's, but our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ's. Just as we are now like Adam, the man of the earth, so someday we will be like Christ, the man from heaven. Isn't that wonderful? So what will our bodies be like? I'm curious. Um, Jesus could appear suddenly and then he could walk through walls and he could de defy gravity. He actually ascended and defied gravity. We are going to have superior but similar bodies. You, there's nobody on earth like you. The same in heaven. There'll be nobody like you. You will be unique in all of your personality. You will be unique in your, your interests. There will be no one like you. There will not be nameless, faceless, personalityless multitudes. There will be people unique, completely unique. Um, multiple times we're told about our resurrection bodies, what they'll be like. I suppose the laws that govern Adam and Eve will be the laws that will govern us. It's hard to be sure. But I guarantee you it'll be wonderful. Much is given to us to imagine whether we'll be able to run like cheetahs or fly like eagles or climb mountains like mountain goats. We don't know. But we will likely need not assume too much. But we will be functioning in a physical dimension of some kind because it says the eternal city has streets and it has gates. That's which implies ground travel. The gates aren't just to walk into one day. We're gonna look at the heavenly city in just a moment. But they're to come and go. This is wonderful to me. Revelation 21 verse 13 talks about a new, uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. Hard to explain what just happened there. I don't know. But new, the word new here is kainos. It doesn't mean new as opposed to old but new in quality and superior in character. Superior in kind. Paul says when we come to Christ we become new creatures. That, that's the word kainos. So the new earth will be the same as the old, just like a new believer will be the same as, but different. Superior. Filled with glory. If a house burns, the components don't cease to exist. They just, they just change into a different form, charcoal and CO2. You and I will be the same yet in a different form. We're going through renovations in our house. And it's the same kitchen, but different form. I can't wait till it's finished. There's dust everywhere. It's beautiful. The same but different. Theologically, the Bible begins with an original creation that was corrupted, and the Old Testament talks about the redemptive history before the restoration of fallen creation when the New Testament begins to see the beginning and then prophesies the future fulfillment of a new creation. We will be the same people with upgraded bodies without any sin, without any suffering, without any incapacitation. 
unique but individual. Death, we know now, is simply a relocation. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just a relocation. What will our bodies be like? They'll be beautiful. We'll be upgraded to first class. I sometimes think when you see a handicapped person or someone with Down syndrome, what a day it'll be when their bodies will no longer impede them. What a day it'll be. No more suffering and no more pain. What a day. So what will heaven be like? Here's, here's the, I think, the, the primary thing in chapter 22 of Revelation is there will no longer will anything be cursed. The present heaven right now, my dad had a glimpse into it and would often, he would try to tell us about it, but he would run out of descriptions. The present heaven. But there is a new heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Pardon me. It was so, I, when I was reading through Revelation 21 and 22, I got very, very emotional because my heart began to long for a place I haven't seen but I've only heard about. I was, I was, I w- I've been displaced. I was living at my son's home and I just was longing for my own home, my own shower. <laughs> it's beautiful over there and they were generous to give us their home while ours is being renovated but I wanted my own home. Every, every appetite we have is just a longing for the ultimate appetite of finally being satisfied in heaven. Heaven will be a place where we will fit perfectly, a place that we've been made for. If you're like me, I sometimes scan a sunset or view the mountain range or a meadow full of wild flowers or the sunrise on a lake with a twin's di- di- disappointment because I think I'm gonna miss this in heaven. But the fact is, the, the, more contru- the more complete truth is that we want all the beauty without the decay and without the death and without the decomposition. What we want is all the good parts without the disappointments. That's what heaven will be like. No longer will anything be cursed. It'll be life without death and it'll be relationships without relational pain. I'm describing heaven. I have a strong connection to the earth, but the new earth will be the same, but much, much better. It will will not be a non-earthly state. It will be a magnified, glorified, multi-sensory experience. The presence of earth positively magnified many, many times through power and the glory of the resurrection. For us going home, but for Adam and Eve, it'll be like coming home. They They have lived in three earths, the unfallen, the fallen, and finally the redeemed earth. The only ones who have ever experienced the magnificence of the original earth but you and I someday will be able to experience that as well. Let me emphasize the familiar and the new all in one. It'll be like coming home to a new home, a restored and a perfect version of our familiar bodies and a familiar earth and familiar relationships. Heaven will be with the people that we love and we will settle in instantly, I believe, on an earth where we have lived before. I believe it'll be like we are finally and completely home, a place that we are ultimately made for and always are longing for, where we'll feel our most self and our complete self without any limitations, heaven. (laughs) 
I had to stop many times while I was writing the sermon because because it's, it was just too beautiful to imagine. And the Lord was making, giving me this great desire as I looked into the scriptures. The one who without limitation and knows us the most intimately and loves us the most completely, this will be the best, most magnificent place made by anyone ever in the history of the universe. The New Jerusalem, it's called the Great City. If you read about it through chapter 21, the great city or the holy city. Its visual magnificence will be incredible. Chapter 21, verse 10, it says, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It will be filled with the glory of God and sparkle like a precious gem, crystal clear like jasper, Excuse me. Its walls were broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. Even if you don't like cities, you'll be able to come and go as you please because it's got gates. It'll be all the beauty without the crime and the grime and the porn and the prostitution. The entire universe will become the home of the great king and the new Jerusalem will be his living room. If you can imagine parks and museums, and, and, and it says there is the river of life where we'll be probably able to dip ourselves and not come up for breath. Probably. And it says the tree of life is there as well. Imagine restaurants. Imagine relational perfection where nothing is cursed, where there's no shame or diminished quality of life because there's no sin and there's no curse, where there's nations where we will rule and cities we will govern under Christ's leadership. Every joy will be experienced, every pleasure fulfilled, every appetite, every dream, and every longing will be just, uh, that right now is only a whisper and a foretaste of fulfillment. There we will finally and completely be there, and there will be heaven, and there will be home. The river of life and the tree of life. The tree of life is mentioned three times in Genesis, four times in Revelation. According to Revelation chapter two and verse seven, it's presently in paradise. But as, as in the city of God, but it's gonna be relocated into the new earth. The supernatural provision of life as Adam ate, once banned from the garden and separated from the tree of life and the river of life, it now it now will be the provision of life. It'll, this promised place where, where the tree of life will be forever restored. It doesn't mention anything about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in heaven. Imagine eating freely of the same tree that nourished the original couple. Revelation 2, 7 to him, says to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in paradise. We will eat in heaven but there'll be no eating addictions in heaven. And there'll be no weight problems. I don't know how that's gonna work, but we will have resurrected taste buds, I know. And he said, Jesus says, he, he said about, about the wine, he said the wine that like he made at Canaan will be a foretaste of the wine that he promised that we would drink one day in his kingdom together. He said, we're not gonna participate again until we drink it in my father's kingdom. Isaiah 27 says he'll spread a wonderful feast of good food, clear, well-aged wine, and choice beef. Read it. 
we will eat of the tree of life and drink from the river of life. Jesus ate after in his resurrection body. He says, is there any food around here? They gave him some food to eat. The paradise of God. Once again, somehow we will draw strength and fullness and vitality from the tree of life. That will, be, that will produce crop, not just one crop, but 12 crops. And somehow in those leaves will be our healing and our sustenance. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm just using the biblical text to remind us of this incredible hope we have in eternity. Its fruit will not just be looked at and admired, but be consumed. Unhindered, unlimited, sensual experience. One thing about heaven, everything will be good because there'll be no more curse. No battle with desire and nothing will be forgiven or for, forbidden. <laughs> only, only two people have ever eaten food at its best. Our resurrected bodies will have resurrected taste buds. There'll be no food allergies. Just everything to be enjoyed where every subatomic particle will glorify God. There'll be relational perfection. It's a tricky question Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22 about he was, and I have been sad to reflect on the answer to his question where he said when the dead rise there'll be no no marriage or given in marriage, but there will be marriage in heaven because it says there's gonna be one great marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. While Jesus said there would not be any need of marriage, he also says that there would be a marriage. I believe we'll pick up on relationships from earth and we'll be reunited with our families. I believe now our friendship will, that, that we start now will continue in heaven and we will gain new ones and we'll deepen old ones. All food sources that have been touched by the curse, that'll all be changed. I'm trying to describe the re resurrection realities. Home as a term for heaven is more than a metaphor. It's an actual place, a physical place to be in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth with resurrection friendships, enjoying a resurrected culture with a resurrected Christ and there'll be no pain and no tears and no suffering and we'll be home. Father, I thank you for the hope of heaven and our hearts long for something more than just an earthly reality. We want a heavenal, heaven, heavenly reality. Lord, as we step into these waters of baptism now, I ask, Father, for supernatural demonstration of your power and I ask for you to be so present that these lives, Lord, could be touched now in a supernatural way as we reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.